Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. And we, with many other words, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, as we're, we're just gathering here as an expression of our need for you. God, that's why we're here. And we thank you that you've anticipated us coming here in your presence this morning. And God, whether or not we can sense it, I love how Kyle prayed that over Christina, that your spirit has always been at work. And we just thank you for your faithful work in our lives. And even right now, we expect you to meet us here in a powerful way now as we turn our attention to what you have to say. And so, God, would you open our hearts? Um, would you give us a sense of, almost like a real deep spiritual sense that only comes from you to, to really encounter you and hear from you? God, I've, like I do each week, prepared something. But what we really need is, is your particular voice in our lives. And so I pray you'd speak to us today, God, and that, Holy Spirit, you would fill me and work in this time. We commit it to you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Can we just honor Christina again and just celebrate her? So excited for her, what God's doing in her life. Um, it's been a real joy to watch what God's done uh, in her life. Uh, it's a really cool thing. Um, and what a great visual of how God works. He works in our lives. And the culmination of God's work in your life will usually involve him sending you out to serve him in some way, to bring what he's done to other people. So that's just such a, such a cool thing. Love that. Well, uh, good morning. I mean, I'm happy to see you. I don't know, you know, I... Let's try that again. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Andrew. I have the real joy to serve here and uh, as, as pastor here at Solus and... and um, I've been really thankful uh, for what God's been doing in this short series that we've been uh, taking a break from our, our, our study in Mark uh, to look at. Uh, as Kyle mentioned, he did a really good job explaining uh, where we're at. The series is entitled Vision Interlude. Uh, and let me just first of all, first off say that, that uh, this is something that we're kind of in the habit of doing as a church once or twice a year, usually once, uh, at the most twice, where we, we just sort of stop what we're doing and we create some space for the Holy Spirit to speak into what God's doing here and to speak into our lives to remind us 
what God even wants to do in, in our lives as a church, all right? And so that, that's what we're up to here. And uh, each time we do this, I feel like we move, we've moved the needle a little bit more in terms of refining our language. So if you've been with us for, you know, for however long you've been with us, if you're like somebody who's been with us from the beginning, the language here has taken many different forms. But hopefully it's said the same general thing over time, uh, just in, in terms of what God has spoken over our community. Uh, it's also an interlude, all right? So we are in between a, a study that we're going to resume next week in the Gospel of Mark. It's, a, it's a, one of the biographies on the life of Jesus. We've been studying it for six months, and we've been looking at three years uh, in the ministry and life of Jesus towards the end of his life. And where we're going to pick up next week in Mark 11 begins a six-chapter study on the last seven to eight days of Jesus' life. And so it's kind of the week, right? Passion week. And so that's what we're going to be exploring for sort of the remainder uh, of, of the year into fall. Before you know it, Michael Buble Christmas carols will be on the music player. Okay, let's back up. Let's slow down, all right? Um, so anyway, uh, as Kyle mentioned too, the tagline here is a mini-series on the mission and pillars of solace. We define mission as the, as the, the reason why we exist, like what we're here for. And our pillars make up sort of the key values that we're seeking to both embody and reproduce in our church, all right? And so we're at week four now looking at what we've called, again, our pillars. So there's six of them, and so we've broken them up into two weeks, three on each week. Last week, we went to the first three. Uh, This week, looking at the next three. Last week, the first three were gospel centrality, biblical authority, and spiritual sensitivity, Uh, These are three big words, three big phrases to basically say the gospel of Jesus, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit. Three key biblical pursuits that we have as a community. We want to be centered around and build our lives around the good news of what Christ has done. Not leaving that at the starting line, but seeing that the gospel is what also sustains our growth in Christ. We also have the scriptures under which we we submit ourselves to receive its instruction for all aspects of life, and we ultimately seek to live into its truth. It's why right now we, we, we have our Bibles open why we just had scripture read over us, spoken over us, um, with a posture of receiving what God has to say. That's so central to who we want to be as a church and who we want to be as disciples. And then the third one we looked at last week was spiritual sensitivity. In all that we're doing and all that we're about, we want to maintain a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God who's at work in our lives, but we want to sense his work. We want to invite his work. We want to hunger for the work of the Holy Spirit. God himself at work in our lives and his presence as well. All right, so that was last week. And here we are for our final week in this series with our last three pillars, pillars four through six, three more large phrases, but I'll make them simpler here. Uh, This morning we want to talk about it, and, and we see them here in Acts 2, formational Christianity, authentic community, and kingdom ministry. God's called you here into our community at Solace. We believe this is what God is up to in your and my life. He's bringing us further into what we'll call formational Christianity or spiritual formation, who we're becoming as followers of Jesus, authentic community. It's being known and in the context of relationship with one another and kingdom ministry. 
the idea of surrendering our entire lives to the work of God uh, in the world for his kingdom. Now, these six different pillars, these six key things that that really should be essential to most, if not every church, and these should be essential in the life of every Christian, everyone who's seeking to be a follower of Jesus, gospel, word, spirit, formation, community, mission. These weren't uh, sort of concepts that we pulled out of thin air or developed out of a creative meeting with a whiteboard, right? These are key values that we gather right from Scripture and, in fact, right from the passage that Christina just read to us in Acts chapter 2. That's what we just read there. If, you've, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, and even if you are, a little refresher, Acts chapter 2 marks the birth of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now that Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he has poured out his Spirit on his church, and he has sent his church as his a missions agency, his vessel to build his kingdom into the world. And we see here the disciples, they preach the gospel, and people are, are, are led into a relationship with Jesus. They're baptized. They're gathered into the family of God. And now they're beginning to develop as Christians. Uh, the, the words that Jesus used, this is the assignment he gave the church, was to teach people to obey all that I've commanded. Get the, the followers of Jesus doing what Jesus said. The, the idea is so much more than just teach them what I've said. That's, that's important to know what Jesus has taught. But the command that Jesus gives to the church, the first ever church planners in, in Matthew 28, the command that we're given is to become the kind of people who have given ourselves to the Christian way, who have fully given ourselves to the way and life of Jesus. This is, a, by the way, a lifelong pursuit. It's the work of sanctification, God transforming our lives. Now, as we, we see that happening here in Acts, we see some key characteristics that mark this, this early church. It's really interesting. The author of Acts is uh, a very technical and um, intelligent author. This is Luke the physician. Okay, little nerdy, but cool, cool nerd. All right, nothing wrong with nerd. I'm a nerd. She's a nerd, he's a nerd, we're all nerds. Hey, it's okay to be a nerd, all right? But Luke is like a cool nerd who's nerd in the smart way, and he's nerding out here, giving these really technical descriptions of the early church, and it's a really beautiful thing to say. I think um, there are some unhealthy, almost, obsessions that can come about with the first church here. And people are like, we got to get back to Acts 2. we got to get back to Acts 2. And there can be some dangers there where it's like, well, this is the first century church in Jerusalem. There's a different context there. So, so we should read the whole book of Acts because the church takes on a lot of different forms. But in terms of the kind of things that this church was about, I'm all for getting back to Acts 2. I've been in church long enough. Let me just say this, like even as a pastor of a church, of your church, I've been in the church long enough to not want to be here if it's for anything other than what Jesus has. I've done the church thing long enough, and part of why God's led us to start a church is God has told us he wants to do something fresh in our community, and so that's what we're after here, Um, wanting to be about the key things, and this is what Acts kind of brings us back to. All right. Now, we looked at the first three last week, and we see the last three um, here in the passage. And so let's go back through these three key pillars that we want to define our church uh, and that we want to see in our lives as well. The first one, go ahead and write this down. We see it there in the passage, is formational Christianity. 
Our fourth pillar, our fourth key value of our community that we want to be characterized by is a kind of Christianity that's marked by a, a sense of conscious and purposed spiritual formation, formational Christianity. Uh, this is what we see modeled here in the text. This community is, is modeling this beautifully. It tells us in Acts 2.42 that this newly saved and baptized community, notice this phrase, it says this twice, they continued steadfastly, and then it lists a handful of different practices, the word, community, prayer. We see the work of the Holy Spirit here. But notice again that key phrase, they continued steadfastly. Some of your, your Bibles translate it, they devoted themselves to a set way of life. Um, in verse 46, it says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Luke, the physician here, is using some intentional technical language to describe the, the sort of newfound direction and resilience and devotion of these new followers. This is not a community of people that have simply like prayed a prayer and identified as Christian. They checked the box. These are people whose lives have been so transformed by the gospel that they have continued to devote themselves to a whole new way to be human a whole new way to navigate their lives. They're continuing daily. They're continuing steadfastly. There's a whole new set of rhythms, a whole new set of habits and practices that make up their lives. And these, listen, these rhythms, habits, and practices serve as a pathway to them becoming who God's making them to be. A whole new way of life, new rhythms, habits, and practices that they've devoted themselves to, and that's a pathway to becoming who God is making them to be. Let's kind of zoom out for a second. This is the kind of Christianity that Jesus invites his followers into. Even his 21st century South Florida Boca Raton living followers, even us today. This is the kind of Christianity that Jesus calls us and invites us into. One of my favorite descriptions of this is the invitation that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, when he says to them, follow me, they're fishermen, and he says, and I will make you fishers of men. There's an invitation here to, to come adopt his way of life. Okay, so whatever you're following, he's like, turn away from that pattern of life, that rhythm, that orientation, and now orient your lives around my way. Follow. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't just mean like, you know, Twitter follow. It doesn't mean like sort of casually like, oh yeah, I've been following. I've been following him. I've been following Jesus. I've been following that story. The idea there is like, no, I am positioning myself to be in the flow of the river of Jesus. Does that make sense? Like I'm coming under his mantle. I want to be about what he's about. That's following. Now, Jesus says, follow me, and notice this incredible promise, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm, I'm going to transform your life. This is an invitation to be transformed by the living God. What an invitation to have your life shaped and formed by his very hand. Um, let, let me say this. This is something that God has been up to since the very beginning of time. I was, this was pointed out to me recently in the creation narrative. The Bible tells us this in the creation narrative when God is forming man. The Bible says the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And, and most people will tell you, and you've heard this before, that when you look at the creation account, it's, it's when God is creating mankind that God especially gets his hands involved. And it's even more than just his hands. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's like this face-to-face formation that God is involved with. This has been the work of God since the beginning of time, forming humanity into his image. It's what he's doing in your life today. It's what he wants to do. He has a forming work he's seeking to do in in and through your life. Now, we know how the story goes, don't we? Um, God forms us into his image, but sin has marred the image of God in our lives. Hasn't removed the image of God, but, but it's a lot like, it's been described as like putting graffiti on the Mona Lisa. It, it's it's a, a violation. It's a marring. It's a, it's a, a vandalism. And, and now as those apart from Jesus, who are fallen, we've been formed to follow God and be made in his image, and we've fallen away from God. There's another agent of formation that the Bible describes as the devil, a real spiritual force. And what he's at work doing in the world is deformation. Deforming lives, spiritually speaking. Uh, Now, I can point you to the news where you can see the work of deformation in the world, okay? I could also, and I say this in love, and I, could say, I say this as I'm talking to myself, I could also look in the mirror, and I could see the ugly things that I don't like to look at, and I'm like, that's not quite formed into the image of God, right? You know what I mean? That, that's not quite who God made me to be. And when you look deeper, you can see those things. You, are you with me? Just a little head nod if you know what I'm saying. Those sort of deformities that we have in our character, that we have in our lives. Now, here's... Part of, I say part of because it's so broad and beautiful, part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, God sending his son Jesus to rescue people like you and me, is Romans 8, 28 through 29. Too many of y'all stop at 28, okay? 28's a setup, not for your new yacht, all right, but for 29. Look at this. We know that God works all things together for good. He works, even if we have been worked, the work in our lives has led us away from God, even if we can't even look in the mirror because we don't like who we've become, even if who we've become has hurt and wounded people, God works all things together for good. He works all lives together for good for those who love him. And here's the beautiful thing, for those who are called according to his purpose. He looked at your life and he had a purpose for your life. And so he called you. And the Bible says this, for whom he foreknew, he knew you before you knew him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. He, he knew you first and he calls you, look at this, to be you're predestined, predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, so God looks on at humanity that he formed from the very dust of the ground. He breathed breath of life into, into the humanity's nostrils. We have, we, have, we have spread ourselves away from him in sin. There's a sense of deformity in our lives that's ugly to look at and harmful. Yet God looks on at our lives and he says, I've got a new work to do in your life. And it's, it's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to restore my image upon you. I'm going to reform you. I'm taking where you're at, and here's why I've called you. Not for you to just be a better person. That's not the Christian faith. It's so much deeper than that. I've called you to conform you into the very image of Jesus. So you look at Jesus. That's who God's making you to be. Isn't that incredible? 
Here's, here's the beautiful way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. I got some Bible for you today, by the way. All right, a lot of Bible. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. A lot of cool things happening here. This picture of intimate relationship, just as Moses knew God as a friend, knows a friend face to face. We're talking FaceTime with the Lord, okay? Legit FaceTime, not the fake kind, the real kind, like face to face, eye contact. Your, your deepest friends and the closest relationships you have are people that you, you can look directly in their eyes and you do life with them in that posture. Well, this is where the gospel brings us back to. See, we've turned our backs on the Lord, but Jesus reorients us. He saves us and brings us back face to face with the Lord. And there's no shame. There's no veil. You can look at him. You can behold him. And who's beholding you is a loving father who delights in you. He looks at you. He has joy in you as his child. And and do you see the imagery from Genesis? Just as God formed man from the dust of the earth face to face, so too we who are in Christ are being transformed in a face-to-face relationship with God. He's changing us. He's forming us. Don't lose heart. He's going to finish the work he started, okay? I, I know verses like this can just feel like, especially for me, like this is one of the first actual Bible verses I ever memorized. True story, okay? And scriptures like this can just seem so conceptual. Do you know what I'm saying? Like up here stuff. Like, yeah, okay, there it is. But we want to bring this down to the ground level, Okay? We want the scriptures to be functional. That's what they're meant to be for us. And so I want to point out that Jesus, in this invitation to be transformed, we've been predestined to be conformed to his image. Notice that with the invitation to be made and transformed by him, there's instruction. His invitation to be transformed also contains an instruction that he must be followed. So so it's the work of the Holy Spirit that God does to change our lives as we follow him. That's the key idea here. That's what we see modeled in this church. They're they're following Jesus. They're not just sort of like fans of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. And, And their lives declare that. How they're orienting their lives, their mornings, their habits, everything's declaring that they're following. Like you look on at them, you're like, oh, they're following Jesus. Look how they're spending their time. They're following Jesus. And as they're doing that, it's a pathway to formation. Another scripture about this, which kind of gives more context. Here's Paul in Romans, okay? Paul's unpacking this idea of us being transformed. And he's kind of pulling it down to the ground level. So first he's like, Jesus is transforming you face to face. Yippee, you're being transformed. Okay, now we're pulling it down a little closer to the feet. Because that's kind of how Romans is too. The first half of it contains a lot of theological truths. And now it's coming down to the ground level. And Paul's giving a command to the Christian. With this framework, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's a command in here. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so, so this, this sort of upstairs theology is now downstairs practice. And there's a command in this. And, and with this command, I want you to notice what I think are three essential realities that we must recognize if we are going to be transformed by Jesus, which is what we're after. We want to become more like him and less like who we're prone to be 
Um, and if we're going to do that, we need to recognize a couple key things. The first thing I, I want to point out is how Paul speaks to this sort of idea of the inevitability of formation. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. What Paul is saying first is that formation is going to happen in your life. Spiritual formation isn't optional. The question isn't if you are being formed spiritually, it's by what and into who. It's, It's what's the template that's molding your life. So right now in this room, we have a bunch of people who are taking part in spiritual formation. We've got our own Instagram accounts that we follow. We have our own relationships. We have our own mindsets. We have our own chosen sins. And they all play a part in who we are and who we're becoming. That's the first thing to notice. Paul's like, there's, there's, there's confirmation to the, to the form of the world or there's transformation to the image of God. And it's a good question to ask yourself. Um, whose image are you being formed into? Formation is inevitable. It's going to happen. We are not static beings. We are dynamic individuals whose lives are taking on some shape. You're becoming more and more of someone. Another thing to recognize with this idea is uh, Paul speaks to not just the inevitability of formation, but he talks about another reality, which is this kind of countercurrent of formation that we're up against. That, that in following Jesus and pursuing him, th- there's going to be another stream of formation that's seeking to form me away from the image and the, and the calling of Jesus. He calls it the world, the, the shape of this world, which in scripture is one of the three enemies that we're at war with. And when we say the world, we don't mean like they and them and that military. The world, we gotta fight the world. The church versus the world, Okay. Paul here is talking about the belief systems of fallen humanity, the cultural ideologies, the mindsets, the structures, the cultural values of the societies that we we live in. That's the first enemy he points out. But there's another enemy that Paul will talk about. He calls it the flesh, which is our own broken humanity that has its own evil desires, um, that that chase after all sorts of other things. And the third enemy is a real spiritual foe. The Bible has no problem naming and putting a face to the source of evil in this world. There's a fallen angel that is at war with God who has his own spiritual forces that are way stronger than us on our own. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul's like, this is what is countering God's formative work in your life. So we have to recognize formation's inevitable. We have to recognize that there's a countercurrent to our formation in Christ. But notice three, the other reality that is necessary for our formation. There is this call to be intentional. This call to be intentional. Notice how Paul's like, here's the reality of how inevitable it is. Here's the reality of how culture's trying to shape you away from Christ. But here's the power you have in Jesus to be transformed. We're not victims to the culture. We're not, as Christians, we're not victims to our flesh. We're not powerless victims to even the devil. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So there's a call with all these realities to not be conformed, but be transformed. What a command. Wouldn't that be a great thing for us to be reminding ourselves of? Like our community groups are just kind of like us looking at each other being like, hey, be transformed. Do it. 
Like really, be about it. Pursue it because God is up to it in your life. What a great reminder of this reality, being, being intentional about this. The, the idea here about being intentional is stopping and thinking about how am I orienting my life? What, what am I being about and how is it shaping who I'm becoming? Now, when you look at this church in Acts 2, I think you see this modeled beautifully. They're continuing daily. There's an intentionality behind it. Um, and these are like, I think of these as maybe three categories of formation in our lives. If you go back to our podcast earlier this year, we did a series called Rules of Formation. And we looked at, uh, it was a study in scripture on the things that shape us. And so each week we looked at like a different key thing that's playing a part in who we're becoming. Um, and you can get a little bit more on this, but just to kind of summarize, when I think about, when you, you and I think about our lives and who we're becoming, I think these three categories really make up the most of what's shaping us. And there's overlap between these, okay? So take it with a grain of salt. But the first thing I want us to think about is our life rhythms. How we're being shaped by our life rhythms. You know, in this passage, you saw some unique, uh, Luke highlights it with his technical language. He highlights that this is a church that gave themselves to observable life rhythms. They were continuing daily. That was the language, right? So you could look on at their life, and there was a certain symphony. There was a certain rhythm and a music of their lives that was pleasant and pleasing. Um, a question to ask yourself is like, if there was a song to be made about the rhythm of your life, okay, you got rhythm? No, I'm just kidding. Um, if there is a song to be made about the rhythm of your life, how would it sound? What does it look like? Is it beautiful? Is it pleasant? Or is it kind of cringy? Like, oh, that's, that's unhealthy. I, come on, by the way, I'm looking at my weeks a couple weeks ago. Like, and, and especially summer. Like summer's, what I love about summer is also what I hate about summer. Like, I, what I love about summer is the rhythm goes away, and it's kind of like, oh, this is nice. And then, like, a month in, I'm like, I need rhythm. I need some rhythm. I need the school year back. But listen, and there's flexibility, and there's difference in this, but I just want you to look at your life and think about it. Like, how are your rhythms shaping you? Like, to think about some of these, like, what, what is your rhythm? And this maybe is the most, there's so many aspects of this, but in terms of, of your rhythm of work, and rest. Your rhythm or lack of rhythm with work and rest is shaping you. If, if you're working all day, all night, and there's not a humble pause to your life where you remind yourself that God is your provider and he's the faithful one and he holds the world together and you just kind of rest in, and you stop doing and you start being present with your family, present with your kids, present with your, your spouse, present in community. That's an unhealthy rhythm if you're not doing that. Now, work and rest is one. I mean, you can think about, too, um, like solitude and community is another important rhythm. What's that rhythm look like in your life? Um, are you hard to find? Like, you should be more accessible in community. You know, that, that's an unhealthy rhythm. If you're kind of living in isolation, or maybe the other is true, is like, you can always be found? That's another problem. People are like, hey, I texted you yesterday, and you didn't text me back. I'm like, I know, I did that on purpose. Not to offend you, but I had to be present. 
I had to, I had to detach. So, so rhythms. So think about that. Life rhythms. What about daily habits? Here's another one. Daily habits. Like the things that make up your day-to-day tendencies. This starts to hurt a little bit more because you look like deeper and you're like, ooh, I got some bad habits. And again, there's so much I could talk about with this, but can, can we just talk about like, um, how are your digital habits? How's your screen time? Was it up this week or down? Okay, I hate that notification is so painful. And for some reason, I don't know if it's the Lord or the devil, but I always, I always get the notification right before I come up to preach. Okay, I'm back there and it's like, it's like, hi Andrew, you're a piece of garbage and your screen time was up twenty thousand percent last week. You know, so get that jolt of encouragement before I go preach. Um, now you're all going to ask me before I come up here each Sunday, like, how's your screen time? So it's good accountability. I appreciate it. But you're, you're, listen, you're being shaped by the digital content you're consuming, by the amount of digital content you're consuming. It's, it's making you someone either more or less human and more or less machine. So, so think about your daily habits. Think about your sleep habits. Think about your family habits. This is important. And lastly, spiritual practices, okay? Jesus has given us a whole slew of spiritual practices to devote our lives to. Um, things, and some people call them disciplines, Right? Spiritual disciplines. We see the church continuing steadfastly. That means they've de- it's not about feeling. It's about a f- spiritual war. I know that I'm going to be shaped unless I devote myself to start my day on my knees alone with Jesus. Unless I devote myself to, to fasting and seeking God's will for my life instead of trying to discern it on my own. Unless I devote myself to community and prayer and consuming the scriptures. There's key spiritual practices that make up our formation. So this is the first, but certainly, um, certainly as we see here, modern inscription, one of the, the, the most important of all these pillars, formational Christianity. Now, what's interesting about formational Christianity with Jesus, when he called his disciples to follow him, he's like, follow me, I'm going to do crazy things in your life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Sin has deformed your character, and you've fallen away from God. But I've come to redeem and reconcile humanity back to God. I've come to shape your life, transform you in relationship with God. I've come to transform you from glory to glory into my image. So come follow me. Come orient your habits, your rhythms, and your practices around my way and watch what I do in your life. Now, as he calls the disciples to follow him, he calls them, notice this, together. He's not like, all right, guys, so discipleship time with Peter is going to be Tuesday. Thomas, come follow me. You get Wednesday. All right. And we're going to make sure we separate. We got to separate Matthew, the tax collector. Okay. And and Simon, the zealot, because you guys are political enemies. And Simon, you've been known to shank people in public spaces. And we don't really want that in our church. And so we're going to make sure you guys, okay, you get Sunday, you get Friday. Now, what, what Jesus does is he takes this big dysfunctional community of people who, whose lives he's transforming and he brings them all together in the same room. He sits them next to each other in the small group. Okay. He's like, you sit there. Simon, Matthew, be friends. Okay. We're not talking politics. We're talking about Jesus right now. Okay. Now it, it's beautiful. This invitation that he does to bring them around the table to do life together. Uh, that's the second one here. Write this next one down. Authentic community. That's what we see flowing out of this church. They're not just following Jesus individually, but part of that formation is a community project. And so he invites them to follow Jesus in community. And now the disciples, they're leading the church, and they're leading Christians to do the same thing. 
They're like, there's no such thing as Jesus and me Christianity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? With even the idea of Adam in the garden. And Adam, the first man, God looks at and he says, he's alone. Adam was called alone, which is crazy to think about when, when you think about the fact that Adam had God. Adam, me plus you equals alone. That's crazy to think about. But it was true. There was human community missing in Adam's life. And so we see this with the church, so beautiful. They continued steadfastly, notice this, in the apostles' doctrine and the word there, it's so rich, fellowship. We know the Greek word if you've been in church. If you've gone to VBS once or twice, you've heard the word koinonia. It's like one of those one or two Greek words that everybody gets to know, okay? Like I speak classical Greek now, okay? Koinonia. The word koinonia means to share together. It's almost beyond language, but the idea is sharing together in the journey and grace of life. It's, it's like we're, we're of one heart. We're of one mind. We're sharing together in the grace of life. And it, it describes, Luke describes the practice of this. It says, now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Like, if this, was, if this is the Acts 2 we want to get back to, I'm signing up for this. Church is found around a table. <laughs> we're eating good food. We're drinking good drink. We're face-to-face with each other, and we're experiencing what Jesus saved us to experience, deep and true community community that's that's centered around him we have all things in common because of jesus he's the unifying factor now this is certainly let me just say like this is certainly what we want for our church we want this for solace um i can tend to hold this up above all the other values just because i think sometimes everything else can flow from this when we are deeply and truly connected to one another in relationship um, what the gospel comes to give us and bring us. And I think for the most part, it's, it's what most of us want as well. Um, when, when I think about what we see here in Acts, and I think about sort of even a framework for this, I think John Eldridge, in his uh, new book, Resilience, kind of gives us a helpful way to think about this. Like what we want here in our church, what, what I desire for your life and for my life. Uh, John Eldridge, in his new book, Resilience, he talks about what he calls uh, three layers of being. So every human um, has technically three layers of their being. It's kind of a framework that he uses to think about what's going on in our lives. Uh, the first layer we can call the shallows. We all, we all have the shallows, the surface area part of our life. Um, the shallows, he describes it this way, is the everyday surface level affairs of life. Okay, what's the score? What, you know... Are the, do the dolphins have any chance? Some of you guys are like, dude, that's the depths, bro. Chill out, okay? That's the depths. But, but genuinely, uh, here's how John Eldridge describes the shallows. He says, the shallows of our mental life especially involves the fl- a fluttering array of randomly distracting thoughts flitting al- along like a thousand butterflies. They're just the, the different butterflies, the cares of this life that sort of take up your day and your time. Um, and it's where we tend to be drawn into. This is where the world, by the way, wants us to live from. Do we know this? It's advertising something substantial, but in reality, it's shallow. Okay? This is your, your in a lot of ways, this is your academic or, or vocational pursuits, your financial pursuits. It's the shallow places. 
Okay? Now, the second stage that John Eldridge distinguishes from the shallows, he calls the next level down is, of our being is, our, is the midlands. And he calls the midlands the terrain of weightier matters. He says it's what Jesus describes as the cares of life. I'm just going to read what he said. The deeper worries, heartaches, longings, and aspirations that occupy the human heart. Things like the health of your aging parents the learning struggles of your children, the status of a troubled relationship, the progress of your education or career or lack thereof, your finance, your own health. I mean, we're talking here, these are not like small matters. These are weightier matters. The Midlands is the things in your life, the places of your life that, like if, if the shallows occupy your day, the Midlands can keep you up at night. And I want to say like, I, I think one of the great works that God's done in our community is he's, he's really united a heart here that says, like, we don't want to be a people that lives in the shallows. It's really easy to live there, to swim there. We want to go deep. But sometimes we settle in the Midlands for a, a sort of pseudo-depth where, where we'll tell you what's going on in our lives We'll describe, hey, like my dad is sick, and hey, how can we pray for you? And we could be in a small group for two years and think we're deep because we're not shallow, but we're just kind of in the midlands. And where God wants us to actually function from is, is the depths. Here's what John Eldridge says about the depths. If the midlands describe the cares of your life, your deep worries, the depths of your being involve the deepest longings of your soul. The depths of your being involve your unverbalized pain, your secret temptations, your insecurities. Um, this one hit me recently as I've been, I've been diving into the depths personally with Jesus lately. And, and John Eldridge says, the depths is the place of your abiding sadness. It's interesting. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to the tendency to want to just stay above surface and not deal with what's down there. Do you know what I mean? Because of how much it hurts, how much it costs. But I just want to say, like, you and I cannot afford to live in the shallows. And as a community, we can't afford to settle for the depths, or sorry, to settle for the midlands. Jesus is, the Bible says this, actually, about Jesus, deep calls unto deep. The Bible says, who can know the deep things of God except him who has the spirit of God, who searches the deep things of God? This is where God is pulling you. Like, first and foremost, in your life right now, this is where God is and this is where he wants to work. Are you with me? Like, so I went away on a, on a men's retreat a couple weeks ago and I realized that I've been living in the Midlands. And speaking of formation, it's amazing. I went on this men's retreat, me and Lee Bronco, and it was great to just show up and just be Andrew. Andrew from Boca. They're like, you're from Boca? I'm like, I'm from Boca. <laughs> not Pastor Andrew, not just these kind of like titles that become our idea. It's like just truest me, like Andrew, son of God, friend, father, husband. Um, and, and it's amazing what getting away, we, the, we turn our phones in, so we didn't have phones. No phones. <laughs> Off. 
the grid, okay, for three to four days. It's amazing how attuned you become to God's voice when you give him space to speak to you. And you just say, I'm turning that off. I'm getting alone with you. And, and when you get alone with him, it's like you kind of pray shallow prayers. And then you're kind of praying midland prayers. And, and then there, there comes a point where if you, if you really pursue God, he's going to take you where he is in your life. It's in the depths. This is, this is the place from which he transforms our lives, from the deep parts of our lives, from that place of unresolved sadness, from that place of, of deep temptation and insecurity and shame. That, that's who he's transforming. Now, what a vision for community. Are you with me? What a vision for, for, listen, why we are launching 12 to 13 or so different community groups around the area. Because God's calling us deeper. And this is what we want for our community. It's like we don't want to settle for pseudo midlands. Okay? Now, let me say this too. Like, there's a big, tr the big transparency movement in the church has been really strong, done a lot of great things. There is, too, the biblical value of discretion. Let me just say that, too. It's a helpful hint, okay? You don't have to go around confessing your deepest insecurities to anyone because they're a Christian, okay? Like, you do want to be wise about who you entrust the depths of your heart with. That's an important statement, right? But at the same time, this is where God is wanting to bring us in deep and true community. Now, what I find, too, especially of Christians, not even, like not even just the watching world, because I think it's true of the world as well, most, if not all, people want this kind of community. I, you don't meet a lot of Christians who are like, yeah, I'm looking for, I've just been looking for a new church. I just, I just feel like the church was too deep. I'm trying to live a more shallow life, and I just don't. I'm just thinking, like, I kind of prefer shallow relationships. You know, like, I'm kind of more of like a fist bump guy, not really a hug guy. And so, I don't even know what that means. But, um, like, you, you don't find that. Most people, because, listen, because you were created to be known in community, are longing for depth. Depth of relationship, depth of knowledge, depth of connection. Now, here's a good question. If so many desire it, how come so few experience it? Why is it so rare to actually have this in, in my life? And, and a simple answer that I would give is because it's costly. It, what we really want most, there's what we want, there's our, uh, remember Lee shared on this at our men's golf event, that there's our, there's our strong desires and then there's our deep desires. And sometimes the deep desires, the thing that we want most, is drowned out by the other things that we want um, the strongest in that moment. And, and it's really a fight against our desires. It, it, the, the truth is community costs us a lot. It will cost us almost everything. When I think about this next season of community, here's some C words. And, <laughs> and I think these are some great descriptions. Just these four actions and these four like ingredients that are required of a deep community, a community that goes from the shallows, beyond the midlands, even to the depths. First, it's going to require conviction. You, you've got to move from, I want community, to agreeing with God that you desperately need other people in your life. Does that make sense? There's a difference between opinion and conviction. And even like desire, like I feel like I need community, you know, I feel like it could, be, it could be beneficial to me versus conviction that I can't walk alone. I agree with God that I can't do life on my own. I, 
It's not just that I want to be in community, because can I tell you something? There's going to be weeks that you do not want to go to community group. Even group leaders, you're like, I don't want to open my house this week. I want to take a nap, you know? Nap and get takeout, maybe Uber Eats, you know? Um, and so, so it's got to be deeper than desire. There's got to be conviction. There also needs to be consistency. When you have that conviction, there, there, it needs to be followed up with practical prioritizing, consistency. Like, and we all know this. There's no real relationship without consistency. There's just not. There, there's the sentiment of relationship, but quality time is really, and quality relationships is the byproduct of quantity and being together often. Um, the idea there is prioritizing commitment, like, which I guess ties into c- consistency a bit. But this, this speaks to like a heart level resolve that <laughs> you have the conviction, you desire deep community, you, you're, you desire to be consistent, but know that what you're getting into is going to require your commitment because, newsflash, community is messy. It's ugly. It's offensive. You ever met another person? You know? <laughs> I'll make it worse. You ever met another Christian? And we say things that we don't mean or, or we don't realize and, and, and we internalize things that they didn't say. And so it's, you know, it's so easy to do is just kind of keep a safe, shallow distance because of how hard it is. And we don't like the mess. We don't, we don't like the conflict. But conflict is often the bridge to deeper relationship. Anybody married in the house? Okay. So there's got to be a level of commitment. Like, I'm going to resolve to do what I know I need to do. I'm going to commit to do life together with these people, even when I don't want to, even when I don't feel like it. I know the cost. It, it's going to cost me time. There's going to be sacrifice. And lastly, I want to say contribution. Co- contribution. So first, I think the first thought about this with community is, Shallow community is the result of shallow people. Deep community is the byproduct of deep people. And so if we, listen, if you want deeper community, stand before God and say, God, am I a deep person? Have I gone deep with you? I want them to be deeper. Go deeper. But like, what about you and the Lord? What about the things in your life? And I found this, like, deep calls unto deep and deep um, I found like deep reproduces deep. This is huge. So if, if you resolve to be someone that doesn't settle for the shallow spiritually and really goes after what, after what God's doing in your life, and you come into your community, not as just someone who's like consuming a connection, but is coming to contribute, your depth will lead people there as well. I've seen this. Your, your courage is going to be used by God if you're willing to go there. As scary as it is, trust God with your depths. And watch what he does in community. Conviction, consistent commitment, and contribution. All vital and helpful things. And lastly, we'll close with this, kingdom ministry. And we'll invite the the team to come up to close this out. Kingdom ministry. This is, we mentioned this with Christina. God brings people in and, and he sends them out. It's really cool. Um, and it's all like of him and his glory the Lord is still bringing us in over and over again. You know what I'm saying? He's like, come back to me. Come back to me. And then he sends us out with a fresher anointing of his power and spirit. There are seasons of bringing in and sending out. But what, what, what a great thing that we see modeled in this passage. That as this community of people, 
These are right, this is right from the text. They're centered on the gospel. They're submitted to the scripture. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're conscious about who they're becoming, and they're aware of how their practices, habits, and rhythms are shaping them. And they're doing life together in community. As this people sets themselves in that direction with that posture, the scripture says this, that the community is praising God and they're having favor with all the people. I love this. And the Lord is adding to the church daily those who are being saved. The Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus promised. He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to work in and through my church. And the result of this by my spirit is I'm going to bring, through you, I'm going to bring others to me. What a great display of this. This is a community of people that has, uh, the idea here is that they've fully surrendered their lives to the kingdom. Like just this picture here, they're just being about the way of Jesus and God is using what they're doing to, to build the first church. This is crazy. I still haven't got over this. Like, like God, I get, to, I get to sit in the room? Wow, I get to be a part of what you're doing in the world, building, and here's the key thing, building your kingdom. Each person here, and each person here, the idea is we're a part of something bigger than any one of us, right? <laughs> bigger than any, like, one of our little earthly kingdoms that we like to build, and we can live our lives for that. I gotta build my empire, gotta build my kingdom, and what an incredible call. This is a, a, a church that has kingdom ministry just sealed upon their hearts, they're people that are like, all that we have is surrendered to Jesus and his kingdom. And so we, we look at our lives and we go, God, just use me. This is, this is ministry. Like, this is the definition we, we say. We say ministry is this. Ministry doesn't have anything to do with a microphone, okay? Wait, well, let me back up because I just insulted myself, okay? As I say this to you profoundly through a microphone, okay? Um, ministry isn't reduced to a man with a microphone. Ministry is using whatever I have however I can, to serve God and his kingdom wherever I am. That's the idea. I just go, what do I have, God? What gifts do I have? What skills do I have? What am I good at? How have you made me? What kind of personality do I have? What do I really care about? Who do I love? Who do I have compassion for? And God, would you just take whatever I have and, and just however I can, would you just use me for your kingdom wherever I am? It doesn't have to look like them. It doesn't have to look like how I want it to look. Just, just do your thing, God. Here I am. Wherever you are, where are you? I love the question that God asked Moses. What's in your hand? What does God put in your hand? What does he put in your heart? What does he put in your, in your mind as a vision for his, his calling on your life? What's your vocation? Let's start seeing where we are as opportunities for kingdom ministry. To be a part of something bigger than any one of us. And, and the posture we bring to this is Isaiah. He hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who's going to go for us? And, and listen, God is still asking this question. What a great display. Isaiah goes, God, here am I. Here I am, Lord. Here am I. Previously, Isaiah's like, woe is me. I'm not much. <laughs> I'm broken, but God, I, I love how he's saying this. God, everything I have is because of what you've given me in the first place. So I just bring all of that. I just say, God, would you use me? It's amazing. It's amazing how quick God is to answer that prayer. Fills you with his spirit to serve him and give you a new resolve. Amen.
Formation Community Mission, all of this centers around the mighty, beautiful name of Jesus that we sang about on the way in. So why don't you stand with me as we let this truth marinate in our heart. We want to close with this song that we came in with. Reminding ourselves, and this is why we sing, we sing to praise God. And simultaneously, as we worship God for who he is, we remind ourselves who he is. And what we're doing is we're bringing, we're bringing our faith up to the level of God's reality. Because our faith can, can settle in places. Kyle said we can default to thinking God does have rivals or, or whatever. And so when we praise God, what we're doing here is we're bringing our faith to the level of his reality. Telling ourselves and telling him who he is. And what we see is he's worth it.